Hello. This is the second RTT podcast, which we are doing once a month to complement our monthly technology topics. My name is Jeff Farrell, and I'm the Research Director of RTT. Last month, we discussed the ways in which technology and commercial innovation is transforming the delivery economics of the satellite industry. Much of the present focus is on KA-band high-throughput satellites. K-band is the band into which the US operator community is planning to implement 5G. However, there is also substantial innovation taking place in the millimetre band either side of the automotive radar bands at 70 GHz, including component and system innovation that could have a near-term impact on the terrestrial backhaul and 5G systems proposed for these bands and the satellite constellations being launched or planned. But this month, we turn our attention to regulatory innovation at the lower end of these bands and the potential influence of this regulation on wide area terrestrial and satellite systems. Specifically, we look at the possibility of implementing low-power ultra-wideband radio as an additional connectivity option. We call this new UWB. In July last year, the FCC Spectrum Frontiers proceeding released a new unlicensed band from 64 to 71 gigahertz immediately above the existing 60 gigahertz unlicensed band, which runs from 57 to 64 gigahertz in the US and 57 to 66 gigahertz in other parts of the world. The 15 gigahertz available between 57 gigahertz and 71 gigahertz meets the FCC definition of ultra wideband as being a passband equal to or greater than 20% of the centre frequency. 15 GHz is equal to 23% of the fractal bandwidth at 64 GHz. Short pulse ultra-wideband radio has been deployed for many years in the radar industry and is widely used today. Automotive radar at 24 GHz is one example. In February 2002, the FCC issued the ultra-wideband rulings allowing technology commercialisation and setting agreed radiation limits for ultra-wideband radio. Two competing standards emerged and the industry battle that followed effectively prevented UWB from gaining sustainable market traction. Fifteen years on, the European Commission issued a mandate to ETSI to produce harmonised standards for UWB as part of the work stream for the Radio Equipment Directive. This covers ground probing radar, tank detection radar, sensors and in-building location, but also includes communications applications. It would therefore be plausible to consider US and European UWB as a viable option for extended 60 GHz band. The proximity to automotive radar at 77 GHz suggests that there may be direct technology and market translation opportunities, which would help to deliver market and technology scale. Coexistence with existing Wi-Fi systems at 60 GHz would be possible and suggests the combination of Wi-Fi and UWB merits study as an option for 5G supplementary connectivity. 60 GHz unlicensed spectrum allocations are not harmonised globally. China has a comparatively constricted band from 59 to 64 GHz with a secondary band at 45 GHz, with the two bands technically addressed by the 802.11aj standard. For all other markets, the 60 GHz Wi-Fi band plan and functional extensions are formalised in the 8211AY standard. This includes provision for up to four channels, each of 2.16 GHz.
Some countries, including Australia, have only one 2.5 GHz channel available, between 59.4 and 62.9 GHz, and therefore would have single-channel deployment. Other markets, including the US and Europe, could have all four channels available, with bonding as an option. Fifteen years ago, one of the two UWB competing standards was based on multi-band orthogonal frequency division multiplexing. The alternative option was direct sequence spread spectrum. The FCC UWB radiation limits were set depending on the frequency operation. So, for example, between 960 and 1610 MHz, there was an effective isotropic radiated power limit indoor of minus 75.3 dBm. That was the same for outdoor. Between 1610 and 1990 MHz, the IRP indoor was minus 53.3, outdoor was minus 63.3. Between 1990 and 3100 MHz, 3.1 GHz, the IRP indoor was minus 51.3, 61.3, outdoor. From 3.1 GHz to 10.6 GHz, indoor was minus 41.3, and outdoor was the same, and above 10.6 GHz, the indoor was minus 51.3, and outdoor was minus 61.3. Those radiation limits were predicated on the coexistence issues that were considered both in-band and proximate to the band. Now, these are low limits, but even so, existing incumbent owners of spectrum in the UHF band, L band, C band, and X band above 10 GHz, and KU band between 12 GHz and 18 GHz, we're never that enthusiastic about sharing expensively acquired spectrum with a new technology which by definition lurked beneath their respective passbands. So, will the story be different at 60 GHz? We should first clarify some naming issues. The millimetre bands are either described using the IEEE standard 521-1984 radar band naming regime, in which V-band covers 40 to 75 GHz, and W-band covers 75 to 110 GHz. This has the merit of being consistent with describing 1 to 2 GHz as L-band, 2 to 4 GHz as S-band, and 4 to 8 GHz as C-band. However, these bands are also used for point-to-point -point microwave, which uses a naming regime based on waveguide dimensions with E-band stretching from 60 to 90 GHz. E-band was formally established by the ITU at the WALK 1979 World Radio Conference, but mostly ignored until 2005 when the FCC issued a light licensing regime that permitted E-band radios to operate at up to 3 watts. Confusingly, both naming regimes are used in the technical literature. However, whatever naming regime is used, the coexistence issues remain the same. Implementing UWB in the 15 GHz passband between 57 and 71 GHz suggests an opportunity to exploit the 15 dB of attenuation difference across the band, a function of the oxygen resonance line. Conveniently, the attenuation of the UWB signal would be at its highest around 60 GHz, which is where the Wi-Fi bands are centred. At the upper end of the proposed FCC unlicensed spectrum allocation is the fixed and mobile band of 5 GHz of contiguous spectrum between 71 and 76 GHz. This is paired with 81 to 86 GHz and is either divided into 19 250 MHz channels with 125 MHz of guard band either side of the passband, 
this is the SEPT CPT way of doing the band plan, or 4 by 1.25 gigahertz channels, which is the FCC way of channelizing the band plan. Either option could be a potential candidate for 5G deployment, though with some coexistence issues that need to be resolved. One potential advantage of UWB over Wi-Fi is that there would be less co-system interference due to the low spectral density of UWB and the higher resilience to 5G interference due to the system bandwidth and spreading gain of the ultra-wideband signal. The 77 GHz automotive radar band consists of two subbands, 76 to 77 GHz for narrowband long-range radar and 77 to 81 GHz for wideband short-range radar. Compared to automotive radar at 24 GHz, 77 GHz radar provides better angular resolution due to the reduced spacing between antenna elements. The higher carrier frequency means that the Doppler frequency increases proportionally relative to the velocity of the target. This results in higher speed resolution. Range resolution depends on the modulated signal bandwidth. The wider the bandwidth, the better the range resolution. Power outputs and spectral densities for 77 GHz pulsed and frequency modulated continuous wave, that's FMCW radar, as specified by ETSI for Europe and the FCC for the US. For the FCC, the state of the vehicle determines the restrictions on allowed output power. For a stationary vehicle, the spectral density in any direction must not exceed 0.2 microwatts per square centimetre in any direction. For a moving vehicle, the allowed spectral density is 60 microwatts per square centimetre looking forward and 30 microwatts per square centimetre for side-looking and rear-looking directions. The maximum field strength determined by the FCC is 500 microvolts per metre at 3 metre distance, equivalent to an EIRP power spectral density not exceeding minus 51.3 dBm per megahertz. The XC specifications are similar and specify the allowable EIRP for FMCW and pulsed radar and the out-of-band emissions. Regulatory agencies have been encouraging migration to the millimetre band by restricting emissions in the 24 GHz band. So 24 GHz systems are likely to be phased out over time, at least in Europe. Previous technology topics have highlighted the technology commonalities between automotive radar at 77 GHz and 5G implemented at 72 to 77 GHz and 82 to 87 GHz. The spatial signal analysis required to detect and determine angular received power in 5G fractional beamwidth antenna arrays is similar to the signal processing required in automotive radar. The typical inter-site distance of dense urban 5G is equivalent to the 150 metres to 200 metre range needed in forward-looking automotive radar. There are potential RF hardware and transceiver architecture commonalities and sharing some of the research budgets of the automotive industry also seems like a good idea. VW and Ford each spend well over $12 billion a year on R&D. This has yielded low-cost single-ship radar modules capable of working in harsh environmental conditions. There are also similarities between automotive radar and UWB. Both systems use short pulses, the shorter the pulse duration, the wider the occupied bandwidth, suggesting that UWB automotive radar synergy could be significant. In summary, 
The FCC allocation of 15 GHz of unlicensed spectrum between 57 GHz and 71 GHz could potentially re-energize UWB technologies with the potential to realize added value without introducing discernible interference into existing and future 60 GHz Wi-Fi systems. Presently, this is a US initiative, but the recent European Commission mandate to Etsy to develop a harmonized UWB standard suggests a more broadly global opportunity. Technical and commercial synergy with automotive radar at 77 GHz and the opportunity to meet possible future automotive connectivity requirements may also make UWB more sustainable in the longer term. New WB should at least merit study within present and future 5G research. More broadly, the FCC decision potentially implies a shift of focus from licensed to lightly licensed or more likely unlicensed spectrum, at least in the millimetre band. The technical rationale for this is that free space propagation and surface absorption losses combined with low output power and, in the case of UWB, low spectral density, will eradicate coexistence issues. While this may be true for local area 10 milliwatt Wi-Fi and UWB at 60 GHz, it is not true for wide area high power mobile broadband progressive point-to-point -point networks using highly focused fractional beamwidth antennas, and particularly not true for bands outside the 60 GHz oxygen resonance absorption band. The commercial rationale is that unlicensed spectrum will help reduce delivery cost. And while this is theoretically correct, in practice mobile broadband operators will need 5G to scale geographically to large radius macrocells in order to be economically viable. It's hard to see how adjacent users, including, for example, automotive radar at 76 to 81 gigahertz, would be willing to accept adjacent unlicensed spectrum without OOB emission limits that would invalidate the 5G macro cell business model. Additionally, all unlicensed spectrum allocation to date, including 60 gigahertz, has been based on a TDD band plan. This would introduce potentially expensive time-domain interference issues for wide area 5G and would compromise the sensitivity required to maximise data rates and data reach. It would also require all base stations to be co-sited. This is unlikely to be technically or commercially practical. We argue that 5G will only be technically efficient, or rather wide area 5G will only be technically efficient if deployed in an FDD band plan. Last but not least, while the auction process has been far from perfect, it remains, theoretically at least, a market-efficient mechanism for establishing spectral asset value. This will be necessary both in the centimetre band, K band at 28 38 GHz for example, and the millimetre band in order to arrive at equitable and acceptable commercial arrangements with incumbent users, including military, terrestrial and deep space radio and military and automotive and civilian radar systems. New WB is therefore only part of an emerging centimetre and millimetre band story, but presents an intriguing prospect of 5-band 5G centred on 250 MHz channel rasters at 28 GHz, 38 GHz, 71 to 76 GHz, 81 to 86 GHz and 92 to 95 GHz. This is a different interpretation of 5G to the prevailing European approach, which has initially at least a predominant focus on sub-6 gigahertz spectrum. We will be revisiting this discussion in future technology topics and podcasts. But you can learn more about these topics by going to our website, that's www.rttonline.com. On our website you'll find details on the 5G and satellite supply chain study, which we are looking for finance for at the moment. 
studies being developed as a syndicated research opportunity in association with Collaborata. There's also details on our 5G vertical market study undertaken with Policy Tracker. And last but not least, my most recent book on 5G, which is called 5G Spectrum and Standards. So that's all for this month and look forward to talking to you again next month.